Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, uh, depending with where you're listening from. Uh, my name is Chido and I'm with Christine and today we are talking about um, data protection, personal data protection and privacy laws in Africa. Basically the question we're answering is, is it a myth or is it a reality? Can we really say that for certain in Africa there is uh, adequate protection for um, personal data? So before I get into the main uh, podcast session, I would give it to Christine to introduce herself. Hello. Hi, everyone. Thanks, Chido. My name is Christine. I am an advocate of the High Court of Kenya, and this is the podcast that we normally do with Chido, and it's nice to have you. Okay. Thank you so much, Christine. So now I'm thinking uh, the question generally becomes, we can't, I mean, we can't talk about data protection without really talking about what is personal data, right? What really do we mean by personal data? Yeah. And I'm going to pretty much say my own understanding of personal data mm -hmm. and how um, privacy has been approached in most jurisdictions mm -hmm. so that we can have a way forward, so that people can understand what we're talking about. Yeah. So basically, personal data, in my belief, is information that relates to an identified or an, an identified uh, living individual mm -hmm. so this data can be very specific in that it relates to you know the name and surname could be home address and email address identification card number you know we've got cookie ids internet protocol addresses and a lot of those things right mm -hmm. so basically when we're talking about personal data protection we are saying the law has to make sure that such personal data is protected mm -hmm. from any violation. And I've noticed that with most uh, laws that tend to protect data, they pretty much protect it under what they call a privacy clause, which basically speaks to the right to privacy, mm -hmm. wherein they're saying that a person's right to privacy should not be infringed. Right. So now looking at that, how I've explained it, right? basically saying my personal data has not should not be violated by anybody should not be shared without consent but it's also not being an, an absolute right can we say that there is adequate protection of personal data in in, in africa ah oh, well i think first this is such a good discussion to have right now because of so much that's happening with different african governments trying to you know, use technology, especially for government services. So, for instance, um, I live in Kenya. So, what has been happening, for instance, is there's a, this number called Huduma Number. And what's happening is that the government wants to link up all, like, your social security number, your, your national insurance fund number, your national identity number, your tax PIN number, all this into one card and all this information is stored on a certain database that the government is able to access. And then you get almost like one number that once you give it, it's able to show all records that relate to you, which are stored in the government uh, servers or that are stored within the government control. So so that now there will be information like from from if you own a car, so the registration of your car, the registration of your property, the registration for your tax and your passport number. So everything is stored and is integrated. And this has come, come around with such 
you know, there's been different views on what's happening with this number. And it hasn't uh, been taken too well. Like the registration for the numbers uh, started from 2019. And this is around the time that the numbers are now being issued. And there's been a lot of uh, pushback on them because there's a lot of personal information that is being accessed. And it's so much. So that uh, right now, in fact, uh, which in all cases is not wrong because right now you're able to access most government data just from my from my computer. Like I can, uh, you know, renew my my licenses, can register staff, I can change, uh, you know, change, you know, whatever details I can um, just online. Which in before you'd have to take, you know, physical documents and such kind of thing, but. Okay. The thing is that there's a lot of personal data that's being collected, but is it being protected? Um, I, yeah. That's the concern I have, because I don't think when we say protection in the sense that you find in conventions, really yeah. not that much. And I think we'll go to that next when it's not even the government collecting and processing the data, but private companies who have access to this data. I think that's even the greater problem. You, you know, you raise a very important point. <clears throat> I like how you actually gave us an example of a situation where data is being collected. You know, I, I didn't know about it. I'm a registered voter in Zimbabwe, but I didn't know about how the biometric voting system actually collects more data about a person. Mm. Right. And if you notice, the biometric voting system has been yes becoming very popular in, in, in most African countries. That's how we are going on to vote and they take our fingerprints, face IDs and everything, right? Mm -hmm. And there is so much of personal data that's being collected. And when we talk about collection of data, obviously the next question becomes how adequately protected is it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, when we talk about private companies also being able to access personal data and keeping it, the question still becomes, how are we protected, right? I'll give an example of um, the the Cambridge Analytica scandal. I don't know if you heard about it, mm -hmm. of a company uh, that uh, that's called Cambridge Analytica and Facebook that were sort of caught up in this in this complicated scandal whereby they were being accused that uh, actually Cambridge accessed data from Facebook of about 50 million users. Okay. You understand? Okay. So, mm -hmm. and, and, and then the question becomes, what happens in a situation like that? Because I know, obviously, those 50 million uh, Facebook users did not consent to their data being shared, right? Mm -hmm. I understand the concept of data sovereignty, but now because of how disruptive technologies are coming up, you know, we now have... Um, social media platforms and everything, can we then say that we can actually ensure that there is data sovereignty and data protection? Maybe to then look at um, African countries, right? Mm -hmm. From the latest statistics that I actually got, do you know that it's very strange that about 17 African countries have no data protection laws, like specific acts or specific provisions, even in their constitution, that actually speak to personal data protection? Okay. And these countries are like, you know, you've got South Sudan, you've got Chad, you've got Libya, you've got, um, actually Mozambique, I think it recently is trying to enact a law. Mm -hmm. So when you are in a country like that, your personal information can be accessed, it can be stored, but it's not protected, 
right? Which means that if there is violation of any sort to your right to privacy, it is is it would extend to. There is no records when it comes to the law, right? Then we have got um, countries like South Africa, Madagascar, Angola, Ghana that actually have got robust um, acts or pieces of legislation that actually speak to protection of personal information. Then we have got um, countries like Zimbabwe that actually have got uh, constitutional coverage. Mm -hmm. So when when we're looking at these countries that have constitutional coverage, it becomes a constitutional right in the sense that it's an extension of the right to privacy. Yeah. Obviously, it's limited within the limitations of the constitution, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So having looked at how there is no clear legal framework in, in in most african countries that speaks to this i personally think that having a, a convention that actually speaks to the protection to data privacy pro, data privacy and and protection issues was a very important thing now, when the african union actually decided to come up with the with the, con, with the convention on cyber security and personal data protection which was pretty much drafted in 2011 mm-hmm. but still hasn't come into force i felt like that was a good initiative because at the end of the day it actually gets to harmonize mm-hmm. the fragmented system that exists currently in african countries yeah and also, I think uh, the good thing about it, it's, it almost serves as a template. So for African countries that are trying to come up with uh, personal data protection uh, laws, the convention is really good. The convention, when you read through it, it has it, it's quite, uh, it captures at least in broad terms, like what you'll be looking for, you know, things like e-commerce, uh, like the need for like a national protection authority that should protect data mm-hmm. and make sure certain processing is not done. But then thing is that most the first of all the treaty is not um enforced and then it, it, mm-hmm. it requires a lot of like the state parties are the ones who need to like take action based on the content that's mm-hmm. on in the convention. But I think the fact mm-hmm. that even the Africa Union has thought through these things, you know, things like uh uh, even cyber crime and how to solve it and personal data processing that should not be taken in, like things like your age your health uh, and such mm-hmm. uh, such information or gender and tribe you know like most of the things that which could be used to profile you for either political reasons or such things so there's mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. quite some good data that has been put in the convention but thing is that uh, for yeah. the countries that have not even even if it's a constitutional right like if they don't have like a substantive law that goes in mm-hmm. depth to explore and and you know like crystallize some of these rights and you know like fully give them implementation mandate, then I think it it mm-hmm. makes it a challenge. And should I think even more importantly is that without such a law, how do you regulate uh, like the the big tech? You know, how do you regulate people yeah. like Facebook? who are collecting this information, yeah. like Twitter, like Google, like and in which African country, mm-hmm. most African countries, in fact, look, there's either Facebook, there's, there's uh, Google at the very least, there's Uber, there's all these mm-hmm. where you actually share your own personal information from your phone number to your, I mean, your gender and all these things. And these are being stored in these databases that are owned by, you know, these private companies. And even more importantly is that lately, like Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, all these guys have been using the information that you share with them for advertising. 
so there's targeted advertising that uh, you're being targeted for advertising. Like, for instance, if I can share, uh, like, briefly, like, because I've had experience with, like, promoting content on Facebook, like, what happens mm-hmm. is that, uh, what Facebook tells you is that you need to pick uh, your target audience. So, for instance, I say my target audience is in uh, Libya. So then uh, they'll be like, mm-hmm. cool, like, you can access the audience in Libya. And then the next thing they ask you is that, what kind what do you consider success uh is, is success for you like what you want to pay for uh, how many people click on your website or is it how many people like and engage with your maybe facebook um update so you have to you pick what it is that you consider to be success because that's the only way facebook will build you so now what facebook does is that they target those people who have the habit of clicking on links that Facebook shared. Mm-hmm. So if what I'm looking for is how many people visit my site, Facebook knows, like it already knows which users and they have kept track of which users whenever Facebook sends a link, they click on it. Those are the people that Facebook targets so that they can click on my links. And because for every click that that I get, they bill me for it. So you find that mm-hmm. they, have, they already have tracked user behavior they have all this information. They know from where you're located. You're located in Libya, and then they target with you based on your habits of use of, of like their platform. So when you look at things like those, then the question is that without like proper laws that you know like uh, have to deal with like marketing and use of your personal information to target you uh, for their marketing purposes, then uh, what can someone turn to? But I because I think it's quite a big concern that there is and it's going to increase more and more you know you know what i was reading this statement and i actually wrote it down so that i could share it with you christian this person was saying the most valuable commodity now is neither oil nor nuclear power it is information it's most expensive it, its most expensive element is the massive treasure of personal data that is stored online all right and Africa has, I, I can't, I, I really think it's a bad thing in that it has been a testing ground for technologies. And the personal information that is so valuable, that is becoming a valuable commodity within the global market, is being accessed from Africa through those various technologies. But there are no domestic mechanisms to actually ensure that protection is adequate, right? Like the the, the biometric voting system that I was talking about, mm-hmm. right? And 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 all these other examples that you have been that you have been indicating. And I think that right now, when we are living in a world where we are talking about e-commerce and globalization and opening of new markets and all that, it's very important to actually have a robust way of regulating how data is protected, because it's still going to be a very important uh, a, a very important commodity i think now that we are looking toward we are looking at the fourth industrial revolution having to use artificial intelligence blockchain and all that really really christine i i really think that what's going to be very valuable is is really not going to be either nuclear power or oil but the amount of information that you have mm. because for for a robot to then start working as a as a shop attendant and actually be able to serve you your data or a certain metric level of data should be fed into that robot, the artificial intelligence, so that it understands your behavioral patterns, your habits, right? The things that you like the most. So I'll give an example that you'll find uh, a robot being an assistant in, in a shoe shop, right? 
in a take it town shop. You are well known for liking Adidas shoes because you like them on Facebook, right? And we have bought them from this other store. So what then happens is obviously your behavioral patterns have already been ascertained over a period of time. They now know that you are, you are an Adidas person and not a Nike person. In a way, I, I think uh, people who are so in support of technology and the fourth industrial revolution think that they are making life easier. But at the end of the day, it is at what stake? Because I'm having my personal data being shared across social media platforms, being shared across business operations without my knowledge and without my express consent. Yeah. Right. So I, I think we we'll also then have to go back and talk about the right to be forgotten and also the issue that uh, like how, how that actually applies, especially in the context of uh, data protection, because we actually have a, a case in the EU where in the court it actually to decide on whether that right to be forgotten can be applied globally when it becomes to when it relates to platforms like Google, Facebook, and all those other things. But I just wanted to go back a little bit to the, to the convention, to the AU convention, and and say that it, it's very sad that this framework was actually drafted in twenty in twenty eleven, as I've said. It was mm-hmm. enacted in twenty fourteen, mm-hmm. but now we are in twenty twenty one, and it has not even come into effect because it can't even reach the minimum number of ratification, mm-hmm. which is basically fifteen countries out of fifty five. Mm-hmm. I think that on its own should scare us as Africans because it basically is sending a message that our governments don't really care about protecting our personal data. Mm. Because if, if, if you look at, if you look at the co- convention, like if you go through, I know you have done it. It, it, it not, not only does it provide for a unified framework for, for the continent, but it also gives um, like frameworks or uh, mechanisms that that can be uh, introduced in domestic legislations, right? Mm-hmm. So they it, it sort of provides a framework for these countries that I've already mentioned that have no law mm-hmm. whatsoever, be it a constitutional provision or, an, or a standalone legislation that talks about personal data protection. Mm-hmm. And I feel that even if most countries are not looking towards having such an, a legislation or having such a constitutional provision, being signatories and actually having this binding convention that is under the AU framework would do a lot more than actually having a domestic, um, a domestic, a domestic legislation. Mm. And it's becoming very important that we have it, especially now that we're talking about the African continent of free trade area, because there's going to be free flow, cross-border flow of information. I need to know that a business that is operating in Zambia, that is going to be doing its operation, that's going to be selling its product via Facebook, my my information is protected. Yeah, yeah. Because of e-commerce, I need to start putting in my banking details online. I need to start putting in my my location, my address. You know, probably sometimes my my medical records are going to be online. The question is, how protected are they? Mm-hmm. So I feel like the the one issue that we have constantly been saying since time immemorial when we started this podcast, Christian, is that there is a wider gap between having the law and implementation as far as Africa is concerned. Because if you look at it, it it pretty much has more or less the same framework as the EU uh, General Data Protection Regulation of 2018, which has managed to unify uh, data protection, the data protection regime for all EU countries. And it's doing so well. Mm -hmm. We've got cases that actually go to the European Court of Justice, particularly on personal data protection. Mm -hmm. We can't even do that in Africa because the agreement hasn't even come into force years after after being signed. Mm -hmm. So I feel like our policymakers still need now actually have to take this issue into consideration 
they, they actually have to be very serious about data protection because the world where we are living in now and where we are going into that's going to be the priceless commodity and you know maybe we will talk about it but even if you if even if you delete some of the data that you have po- that you have stored online what guarantee do you have that it actually has been deleted mm, yeah you know and yeah Chido, and i think uh we we've had a discussion in the past it's in the africa Asia archives which is called like the uh, dark patterns the art of deception by design uh, which is what you, one of the things that that has come up about uh, personal data protection, where what has been happening is that people who design some of these platforms, they do it with the intention of manipulating the person who is using the platform. For instance, someone knows that you like Nike, and then now what they will do is that uh, whenever you go, first of all, on your Facebook or whatever online page you are on, those are the advertisements that will always come up with the product that you have bought online. So let's say you bought something on Amazon, that information is stored. So Similar products are advertised to you, and then very soon uh, you normally find something like where you where you go to a site and they tell you uh, we only have two offers right now and um, they are running out of stock. So you it manipulates you to just almost like be anxious to get the last item before it's out of stock. Uh, or you know, for instance, when you go to book a hotel and then uh, they tell you like only two rooms are remaining so that now because you're looking through that site so that you quickly you know like take the deal only later to realize that the entire hotel when you go check in you're the only guest there so it's it's like uh the, the the whole point of data protection is is so important and even as uh you think about like even children right now uh like using phones you know like they they are able to be targeted and they will fall prey to most of such uh, marketing gimmicks that are online, you know, like even if it's playing a video game, you know, uh, you're told like spend more money to get this level or do this. If it's a child, like really they're after the game, they're not really mindful of like the resources that they're spending on it. So, and I think this is what most people, especially policymakers within Africa, they haven't thought through how massive like the, the influence that this uh, that big tech has and tech in general and even what you said like the future of the world is the knowledge economy it's the knowledge and the creative economy these are the economies that in the end it's the ones that are going to push for innovations even like if, if it's the robotics if it's it's coming from the knowledge that people have and innovating using that knowledge so that comes like uh, with the knowledge there's the information that you're collecting to be able to put together these things so it's so important that a country better be careful to make sure that its information is protected. You know, like its information is protected even for the future advancements. And for as with globalization, you want to like be on the know as to what's happening within within even your borders by the private companies that are operating in there. And if I may mention, like for instance, um in Uganda recently like the Uganda elections uh happened and then uh what 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 was going on is that uh, Facebook, I think the the Ugandan government blocked Facebook from being used in Uganda for a while, and um, and I think Twitter as well, or either either of them. And the thing was that you know the same way Twitter has decided that they can ban someone from their platform because they are private companies, so they can ban you and tell you that you can no longer use Twitter. So I think what they were doing is that 
what they did is that there were certain politicians that were, that Twitter was targeting and banning them from using Twitter, and and I think Facebook as well as well. So yes, there, there was violence in Uganda. Yes, the uh, the opposition leader was being targeted, and there was a lot of crime going on, and and you know bullying. So like, but then now when social media joined the forces, is what they did is that they could like cut off the voice of like some of the politicians, so that now, uh, so that now they are like uh, some of politicians get advantage, and that's interference with the elections right there. So what Uganda did is that they banned the platform. They were like for the period of the elections. I'm not sure if they are back on, but they were like you know you know you have no space in Uganda. Like Facebook is not connecting so they literally like kick them out and you see like that's how much influence right now in the world today that's how much influence uh like this social media and tech has like it can interfere with an election in the smallest african country or that's that, that that's the situation we are in so when you think that there's a country that's not pro, has no uh personal data protection laws i, I think it's worrying you know yeah it is it is Yes, you know, it, it really is, uh, which basically leads me to the idea of the the right to be forgotten or the right of erasure. So like we're, we are saying that privacy laws basically regulate the way which individuals' personal information is handled, right? So it gives you a right to know as an individual why your personal information is being collected, how it's going to be used and to whom it's going to be disclosed, Right. So it doesn't end there. So with, with the right to erasure now is when you feel that the information that was collected is no longer relevant or it, it has been used for the intended purpose and there is no need to keep storing it, you can actually approach an organization and, and have them delete your personal data from their databases, right? So it, it, it sort of gives people the, a right to actually control, to have so much control on their data how it's shared, why it's stored. But then the problem with that, in as much as we'd want to celebrate it, it's because it's not an absolute right. It's subject to a whole number of limitations. And like I was saying, uh, there was a case that actually happened between Google and a certain company from France. So what happened was uh, the, this company was asking Google to globally, to globally remove, sorry, uh, search results that were listing to pages containing damaging or foul information about a person, right? So what happened was Google agreed to actually delete information that was pertaining to a specific, um, like to those, to this people, this person, but in a specific geographical location. But they did not agree to having to remove all listings globally. And this this matter actually went to the European Court of Justice. And in the ruling, the court actually said that, you know what, there is no obligation under the law for a search engine operator who grants a request for dereferencing that is made by a data subject to carry out such a dereferencing on all versions of his search engines. So let's say that uh, for argument's sake, you, you want Twitter to pull down something, right? that has been said about you. Mm-hmm. Twitter can allow, can, can, can agree to pulling down that, but it can't say if the, the search is also being found through Google, then it has to be pulled down globally on all search engines. Mm. 
which basically then are, which, I mean, which, so the question becomes, is, the, is it really a right to erasure or uh, not so much of it? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you're saying you can approach, a, you can approach an organization, you can approach an entity, right? And a search engine operator and ask them to remove certain data about you because you no longer want them to have it. But you can't tell them in an, in essence how they are supposed to do it. Yeah, and and I think it's in the same case where Google also says they have their own policies on how they go about approving such um, removal yeah. of data. Like it's not an absolute right. What you said, it's it's like mm-hmm. it's subject also because there's also uh, the right to information. You know, like what Google yeah. says and 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 freedom of expression. Of course, each of these rights. I think the thing is that. You know, uh, like just as constitutional rights, some of them are, they are not absolute. They are subject to certain limitations, but the limitations are on grounds that are reasonable or as the constitution provides the limitations should apply. So that, that's why the, the, the issue comes in, especially when you find that, uh, like for instance, when uh, when someone says like there's the right to information, how do you balance it off? With the right to be forgotten or there's you have the right to express yourself and and you know like which which are rights that have been fought for especially like for the media like to have a right to express themselves or even people to express themselves which which was uh and, and, but then also at the same time saying that i have a right uh for to, for the certain information to be forgotten and this is not like for information which to differentiate it from what you're saying it's not information that like I have uh, supplied, it's mainly like maybe a certain kind of reporting that was done that features me or, you know, like that sort of thing. Because if you look, if you think about it, like the Google search engine, like it runs on information and people are looking for this yeah. information and such things. So they, they it's so literally like they, they, they will supply this information and even like Twitter, like it's a big source of information. It's a big source of news. Like you can get news updates from about any country, like just just by going through Twitter and such things. So there's a lot of access to information and exchange of information that happens. So it's like trying to balance off these things, and I think it's because um, the rights are not absolute that makes it a challenge. Which takes me back to the to the other point is that if no one, and I think people realize it. The big tech, Google, uh, Facebook, Twitter, you know, uh, th- these companies are almost a government of their own that's ruling the world. So much so that Google can tell you, you can tell them I have a right to, to be forgotten. And Google tells you we have a policy to decide whether you'll be forgotten or not. Like, literally, like, like, like you can even go to the, uh, to, even if you go to like the European Court of Justice. Like Google can stand up and say, you know, in fact, like we have our own policies, which you should also respect. I mean, so much so that Twitter can ban uh, former President Trump from Twitter, you know, and say that we are a private company, yeah. which we have decided who can use and not use our platform. And they, and what I also said, even something about the, the elections and, and they have the right to like uh, silence one side of the political divide and that against another. Like this is almost like a whole government ruling the world right now. So that's where we are at. And I think that's a thing that needs to be realized that literally that the very even the person who has no knowledge of who of what Facebook can do or Twitter can do within Africa, they need to realize that that, that person who they're electing in the smallest seat 
in their constituency or in the county or in the municipality. Like that election can be influenced by Facebook. That that's the world where we are living right now. So you can't turn away. You can't turn away. Yeah, I just wanted to to say this so that you continue that they are calling it psychological profiling, right? Where they 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 use um P, PII data, which includes you know your full name, your ID number, your social security address, driver's license, you know all those other things. So they profile you from your 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 tweets, your likes, your searches, and it's actually being used in election campaigns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the same. That's basically what was happening with the Cambridge Analytica scandal, right? Where where 50 million users of Facebook were pretty much uh, profiled, were done uh, psychological profiling for an election. Mm. So that's that's where we're going to really. I I feel like it's it's beyond us to actually then say uh, there's so much we can do to make sure that we protect our data because now with everything that you want to do with every transaction with every click and every like and every comment, you are pretty much giving out data and information about yourself. And it's going to lead to a certain profiling. You know, it's very strange that, it's not strange, but it's, it's actually happening, that um, if you go on Google right now and you search, uh, like my laptop now knows for a fact that most of the information that I searched on has to do with trade, you know, investment and all that. So the moment I start typing on Google, it starts giving me suggestions that I have to do with what I'm looking for, all right? And if, if I go on Facebook, I'm getting those notifications. If I go on YouTube, I get videos that are suggested from my Google searches. Mm, yeah. So there's no cross-pollination of information across, media, across social media platforms, which basically is saying we are now known everywhere. Like, they know everything about us more than we actually do. Yeah. And, and, you know, like speaking about that, like recently what happened, which, which could be thinking that this is, this is actually the reality of what you're living in. You go to a website, which is entirely an academic website, but they use cookies or they use, like you need to like, they can get your location. The minute that uh, that information is accessed, Netflix immediately notifies you that your, these are the shows, let's say for instance, they have picked that I'm in Nigeria. They tell you these are the shows that Nigerians are watching on Netflix. Like you're like, wow, like like the fact that I the site that I was on was complete was a legal site where I was getting an authority and I had to like, you know, like give information as to my location. And then that this information immediately as is in the Netflix servers and they're telling me what people in that location are watching, you know. And it's quite the, you know, like the information world. I, I think this was the dream when people sat down and said, what if we had platforms where, like, I could find all my information everywhere and I could... There's a day, I'm sure, like, in the past where someone wished this could be done, where you almost feel like someone knows you so well that they recommend things that you know, you know? But yeah. right now, that's when it, you're just looking at it and thinking, no, the reason why a machine knows me is because someone is collecting information about me and this information needs to be like protected it as much as technology is a good thing and it's and it's making like everything easier and faster and we wouldn't even be having like this podcast without the technology that there is but the thing that we're saying is that the data needs to be protected and the reason why we are looking for the protection it's not so much that Information doesn't need to be shared out. We are saying that there should be no exchange of information. That's not what we are saying. I think the thing is that it's the 
negative impact and that such disclosure and misuse of information can have on people. It, it's, it's the abuse. Yes, I wanted to say it's the idea that, yes, I can consent to my information being accessed because obviously now you can't do anything without having to give out certain information about yourself. But I need to be, I need to know that the information that I've given out is safe and is secure. And in the event that there has been a breach to my right to privacy, there is legal recourse for me. Somebody has to be accountable for that. And I feel that all oh, these other tech companies, if if they know that there is um, or there are laws that are put in place that actually protect uh, data, personal data, they 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 sort of scale down on how they just violate uh, personal data and, and 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 all those other issues. Yeah. So it, it's supposed to exist as a deterrent measure and to ensure safety. I need to I need to feel safe that my information that I'm sharing on Facebook, yes. It, it's going to be probably, it's going to lead to me getting ads and all these other things and suggestions, but ultimately it won't be used for all the other wrong reasons. And if it's done, the, I can actually sue someone for that. Mm-hmm. It's true, Chido, because uh, like with the lesser protection, the greater the abuse of those, uh, of the uh, personal data processing. Like you'll find, I'm sure that Google is a bit more careful in Europe than in Africa. They are a bit more careful yes. uh, uh, in the U.S. than they are in Africa. And here's the thing, and the, and the AU convention, actually one of the good things they say is, is that the, uh, the, each state should, you know, like educate the population within that state of these laws on personal data and the right to personal data protection. And I think it's also like making people aware of the implications of this and within Africa that kind of education is is not is, is lacking you know it's it's not yeah. very much spoken about like when when you go to like someone around uh, you can ask for their personal information and they may not resist it as much as someone elsewhere in another continent where they may want to ask what do you want the information for how long will you store it yeah. and recently there's been a, a very high increase in the data collection platforms within Africa, whether it's about trade and right now, like there there are different platforms where you can access a lot of data about like the population in Africa, like how many people are using mobile phones and and such kinds of information. And that's because I think even these people who are collecting this data, they are are doing it in such a, you know, free, free way, you know, without much question, without much resistance, without much responsibility for what they are doing. And I think it's because a country that does, does not have any laws on that, of course, even the population there and the citizens are unaware of any rights that they can even push back and say, do not ask for such information about me. Like in the US, it's it's, it's difficult for you to just go getting information about someone about like what's, how many, uh, you know, like kids do you have? Where have you lived since you, I don't know what age, how many, you know, what's your gender and how many, you know, like all that information. But in Africa, I mean, really, you'll be stopped even by a police person who, like, <clears throat> the question they ask you is, where are you going? Where do you live? You know, like, they just ask you such personal information and they ask it, you know, yeah. you have to cover your mind, yeah. you know? Yeah. Speaking of social media platforms, I, I think we would have done an injustice if we closed this podcast without talking about what's happening with Facebook, with WhatsApp right now. 
So as we all know, WhatsApp decided to, Facebook decided to buy WhatsApp and Instagram. If you open your Instagram right, right now, it tells you that it's, it's powered by Facebook. And for long, WhatsApp and Facebook have been sharing data. It's something that we were not going to deny. But now what happened was beginning of this year, they, they tried to update their privacy policy. And then they were sending out, you know, the statement that says you need to accept this by the 8th of February or you don't get to use our, our platform. And in the, in the amendments, they pretty much expressed their need or desire to share information with Facebook. And having done so, a lot of people were then jumping ship, deactivating their WhatsApp account and going to Signal and Telegram. And WhatsApp actually had to say out again, come out by way of a press statement, say, you know what, or a blog post that they were extending the period for accepting those privacy terms uh, to May so that they actually get back to people and explain what their policy actually means when they say they are sharing data with Facebook. So I, I don't know if you heard about it. What do you think about that? I have got my own views that are a bit unpopular, but I just wanted to hear what you think of the situation. You know, uh, again, uh, for me, and it's, it's especially like all these social med- media and big tech companies from Google to YouTube to uh, Twitter to all these people, because this is WhatsApp, first of all, I can't negotiate those terms. You know, like with WhatsApp, they tell you we are updating our terms. Uh, so the options are accept the terms or leave WhatsApp. You know, and whether and and the thing that you need to ask is that is WhatsApp like the only platform that I'm even able to use because of my resources and my economic status to make calls and communicate with people. Of course, if that's mm-hmm. the case, then uh, because it's easier to it's cheaper to use it because I only need internet and I don't need to buy like calling time you know so when, when that's the situation then it's different for me where i can't I have no bargaining power it's whatsapp to tell me this is what you do otherwise you know like pack your bags and leave you know if you don't yeah. want us to share uh, whatever information that you will on on facebook then you know like just just head for the hills you know it's literally like uh, what option do i have i as a use of this platform and the pushback they say is that we are a private company we can do whatever we like and this is what you've chosen mm-hmm. to like. Now, now, if you disagree with that, you know, like, just leave. And that's the kind of almost uh, mercenary kind of uh, dealing by the big tech that I think personally I have a problem with. Like, your private company is fair, but I, as a, as a private individual who is using your site, do I not have any form of protection or rights that I should have, you know? And because the thing is that this is going to be the future that there's going to be more push and more push by by WhatsApp, by Facebook to get as much information and as much close to you as possible. That's what's going to happen. So the terms and conditions today, we may resist them and, and WhatsApp gives like a statement on what they mean. But even what they what we thought they meant and what they didn't mean, that they will do someday. You know, like, but that's what I think. And and whether it's an issue, I think the big issue here really has to do with because them it's a business, and and that's what makes what makes sense. But I think there should be a level even for me as a user that I need to be aware of how much information I myself am giving to these platforms mm-hmm. and really weigh it out for myself because I may not have such a big bargaining power. 
But I think there needs to be a level of protection from these tech companies. And and maybe like even uh, a different thing to mention, maybe not even going into depth into it. Like one of the big things that uh, African countries have a problem with right now is how to tax, like say Facebook. These this advertisements that Facebook is running and they are making money out of it. Most African countries are trying to tax that income. And you know, like WhatsApp pay, once WhatsApp pay is, is introduced and there's spending of money, like the government, there's a, there's a lot of revenue and a lot of tax that just that that you can't access to tax in such a case. And I think with all these things, I think there's even actual loss of money and revenue for the government. So I think this platform, a lot of thought needs to be put into this. That's what I would say about it. You know what, Christian? Uh, I really support everything that you have said. Uh, trust me. I, I couldn't have said it any better. Uh, you see, looking at, maybe try to understand the situation from a Max Zuckerberg perspective as a businessman, right? He's pretty much trying to achieve interoperability between Facebook Messenger, Instagram, and WhatsApp because, I mean, these are his companies. And like we were saying, how information is becoming very important. So obviously, with interoperability, there's going to be transfer of information across the platforms, which basically makes more money for him. It generates more money for him. And when he bought uh, Instagram and, and WhatsApp, he, he paid a lot of a lot of money. And the only way he can start getting back his money is through the sharing or similar sharing of data amongst these platforms. And one thing that people don't understand or what we we didn't realize is actually since 2016, WhatsApp has been sharing certain information with phone with Facebook, including our phone numbers, right? Unless you are part of the very few people who are, who are, who are actually in Europe who decided to, say, to opt out of data sharing. But especially in Africa, I mean, that's what has been happening. Confirm this, Christine, how many times have you been on Facebook and uh, somebody who's in your contact list to save on your Google Drive or whom you speak to on WhatsApp appears on people you may know as suggestions. Mm, mm, it has happened quite a lot. It, is, it has happened always, right? Mm -hmm. Literally like a person you have no mutual friends with, but you have their number in your phone and you talk to them on WhatsApp. The next thing is they are a suggested friend on Facebook. So it has been happening, right? And now they are really trying to start sharing... Um, you know, information that they're sharing is still the phone number, service-related info, IP address, uh, mobile device info, uh, information on how you interact with others, uh, transaction data. So the idea of trying to share information between Facebook and, and WhatsApp has a lot to do with the, with a business feature on WhatsApp, you understand? You know how they're trying to have a, a WhatsApp for businesses where yeah. you can sell and Yes, you can do e-commerce on that's the idea behind sharing information of, on, with Facebook because Facebook already has got all those other features, right? You've got your marketplace on Facebook, you've got businesses that are advertising there. So they want to ensure that there's interoperability for those businesses to conduct their businesses via the two platforms, right? And have to yeah, and, and actually have the transactions paid for through WhatsApp. And in Brazil, there's actually like a feature where you can pay for your bills through WhatsApp. So I feel like that's what they're getting to. And we're not happy. That's that's justified because we're not given a chance to actually negotiate some of those terms. But I feel that uh, a lot of misinformation is going around because as far as information that pertains to my chat is concerned, 
Facebook can't access that because of end-to-end encryption. Nobody can read the messages that I send to sent to you except you. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, like what you're saying, that ultimately it has to be a choice that we are given to either opt out or opt in of data sharing. Mm-hmm. And maybe to just comment on this idea that people are now jumping ship and going to other social media platforms. I feel like there is no safety there because the idea is when Mark Zuckerberg decided to buy WhatsApp, it's because you saw the number of users, right? Mm-hmm. The number of users and how it was fitting in his, his, his business his, uh, expansionist plan. So even if we go to Telegram today and if you go to Signal, I promise you Telegram is never going to consult us, the users, when it decides to sell to Facebook, just as how we were never consulted that WhatsApp is not being sold to Facebook. Yeah. So the next thing is, you wake up one morning and Telegram is telling you that it is part. They don't tell you. Like you just get a notification that says Telegram is now being owned by Facebook. Mm. And already the same data sharing process continues, mm. right? Mm. Yeah. So I feel like the continent, us, us as Africans, we need to actually be protected by our own, very own policymakers, our own governments and the, and the continent at large, right? Like I was saying how people in Europe could actually opt out of data sharing and we couldn't, we were never given the option. That's the same thing because they actually have got institutions and legal frameworks that actually endeavor to protect uh, data sharing and, and privacy information. And I feel like we actually need to adopt that in the continent and have laws that ensure that we are not abused yeah and you know i I feel like also in addition to like the policymakers is entrepreneurs china facebook doesn't operate in china whatsapp doesn't operate in china you pay whatever thing you're paying for on wechat pay or in alipay or it's chinese platforms where they are having this this discussion will never arise in china and i'm sure that it, it doesn't bother them at all and here's the thing the state, uh, the Chinese government uh, has information on, on all their citizens, like everything, like through giving social credits to them and all that information. And it, it, as as I noted, like in Kenya, for instance, the government has all your personal data, you know, because it's the government that have collected it for whatever reason for census and such things. And across Africa, why can't we have a platform where we are saying that at least it's even owned by these African entrepreneurs? It's on a platform made for Africa by Africa, where as much as there's this information that has been shared, you know, but there's a level where we are not feeling so like you're losing on every side. Like, like Facebook is getting the money that they invested. Africa is losing all tax revenues because now you can trade on Facebook and Facebook is taking all the money. And I'll give you an example. Like, for instance, you know, within East Africa, like payment of money on mobile money and even in Zim, uh, you can make payments using mobile money. And in East Africa, it's a big thing. So that I literally, when you're going to a shop, I never carry any cash. I, I only carry my phone yeah. and I can literally yeah. transact on my phone for everything. And in and even if most of like my utilities, you only are able to access them through paying through mobile money. So WhatsApp comes in, yeah? And then there's the option to make, to give WhatsApp pay and uh, to use it uh, ac- across ourselves. Right now, the government is able to track uh, like the payments are being made on mobile money because you have to like use um, airtime and such things and they're able to track and tax it. WhatsApp comes. First of all, WhatsApp does not register in any African country. And like in most African countries, like uh, I was reading somewhere that Uganda has been trying to 
look for ways of taxing Facebook, they are unable to do it, even if now they tax the internet itself. But thing is that now this outside outsider comes, like you make payments to them, they cannot be traced, they cannot be tracked, and there's every day the government is losing revenue. They are not even able to tax that base, you know. And fair enough that the investments have been made by Facebook to acquire another platform. But we when they are getting the personal data and they're not even giving the option to to opt out of data sharing and, and, and all that that kind of thing. But in addition to that, we are losing revenue. I mean, Chido, I feel like, honestly, like as much as it's a business uh, venture that these people are going through, I think even for the sake of the economies themselves, and especially Africa, because we are not, we will not find any platform that is owned by Africans where we can say it's registered in any, in any specific African country. Netflix will be is expanding inside Africa, but you pay for your Netflix, but no one taxes them, you know? And so when you look at all these things, you realize we are really going down a loop that someone needs to actually stop. It has to be entrepreneurs, it has to be policymakers, but action needs to be taken to some extent. That's what I think. The problem is, in as much as uh, we are saying that, let's be very real, Christine, right? Let's try to look at an example of Facebook, of WhatsApp. Right, WhatsApp has literally become one of the like the cheapest means of communicating. Right, so yeah. in as much as it comes with all these other problems, like in as much as social media comes with all these other problems, it's becoming cheaper for me to speak to somebody who is in Belgium right now than having to like back then when there was there was no social media. Right, so at the end of the day, I feel like we can't really blame the big uh, big tech brothers for how things are adding up because for them it's about money and also trying to improve the system if improving it better the burden actually lies with our government and i feel that generally you know what but if if you try i i heard somebody giving this argument and i'm inclined to believe that that the reason why uh you have got europe and you have got um the us really so much uh, on these other second generation rights, you know, your right to privacy, your right to, to information and everything, is because they have managed to realize the first generation rights. So in Africa, we, we, we are really still trying to fight for the basic human rights, the right to food, the right to shelter, you know, adequate water and sanitation. I feel like privacy is the least of our worries. I mean, let's be honest. The government itself can't provide adequate housing for its people. Do you honestly think it would really worry about whether your information is being shared or not? So our our focus is really not on those rights. And I feel like by the time we want to catch up on what's actually happening, it, it's going to be very like it's going to be too late. So, well, this has been an interesting uh, it, conversation. It has been. I'm actually uh, thinking this has yeah. been quite interesting. I feel like I should go on and on and on. But anyway. We need I to know. stop at some point. I know. We, yes, we need to. I, I feel like we have opened uh, a Pandora box and we're hoping that our listeners would come up with suggestions. They'll come up with comments and, and critiques that we can that can better develop the conversation and we can have possibly a part two anytime soon because this is a, a this is a cause for concern. But
But like I've said, I think that these are going to be really be my parting remarks that the problem that we have is we treat these rights as second generation rights. We have got other, we have got bigger fish to fry. We've got bread and butter issues that we're still fighting for in Africa. For somebody to then go to the government and say, you're not protecting my right to privacy, it, it, it's it's unfounded because you don't have food. You, you, you can't even secure a job. You, you don't have proper housing, right? So I feel like that's the reason why in Africa, these rights are not being given the, the, the adequate attention that they so deserve. So I don't know what is it that you have to say as, as your parting words, Christian. Uh, okay, so I think I agree with what you say. Like these are second, you know, class generation rights. And thing is that though, I think something can be done about it and something should be done about it because I think... At the end of the day, we'll wake up and find that there was another scramble for Africa that happened and we were swept away by it without realizing. Because I think as much as um, the government is not... The thing is that if the government was efficient, the governments in Africa were efficient. You know, like even some things like on data protection, surely it's a law. It's like enforcing like a law which the Africa Union has come up with a framework for you to take up, you know. I think... A lot can be done, I, I actually think. And I think a lot should be done because I think at the end of the day, it's almost like uh, the economy that is able to control the knowledge and the information will literally finish off the rest of the economies. And I think it's just realizing that that will help, you know, like shape conversations. For sure, these conversations that we're having, we're not even giving all the solutions there can be. But I think someone listening to this, they could actually tell us, what they think about it, or even they themselves get to thinking of what do you think are possible solutions that we are missing out or possible approaches that could be had. Yeah, so Chido, I just honestly think it's just something something to think about. It's not entirely a solution that you can give on this thing. Yes. Uh, I just wanted to say in conclusion that I do agree with you that we, it all comes back again to this issue of willingness amongst our governments to actually like follow up on these issues like you have rightfully pointed out that it's a matter it's a matter of ratifying an agreement that already exists that they negotiated for that's the part that i don't understand you understand so i feel like there's this excitement that generally goes around in our continent where policymakers negotiators they go and convene at the african union they are in this frenzy and they start negotiating this you know amazing uh, documents <laughs> But then they have no, like they have no intention to implement them. So I feel I don't understand. Is it that there are some countries that are bullied by others to just agree on certain things during negotiations or what? So I feel like we actually need to start being accountable to ourselves. If we go to the African Union and say we are negotiating an agreement, we actually need to sign that agreement. We need to ratify that agreement make sure it comes into force so that in as much as we want to slack and do all those things, at least there is an existing framework such that if there is a private party that feels aggrieved by any breach to their right, they can actually take the matter to the African Court on Human and People's Rights with that document. So now you've got a court system, you've got your right that has been breached, but you don't have any law. The existing law has not yet come into force because apparently the governments are not willing to ratify it the governments that negotiated it. So I feel like there, there is really like, we lack foresight. I think uh, we need to do so much as a continent. I'm sorry, but that's how I feel. Yeah, Chido, okay. I, I agree with you. Okay, thank you guys for listening. Um, we welcome your views. 
comments, questions, uh, critiques. That's how we, we keep going and that's how we keep making the conversations better. So thank you for, for listening. We hope to have a part two on this matter. And it's basically going to be based on the feedback that we get from you. So today it's Christine and Chido and we say good day. Bye.